Okay, so let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. Once you're there, let's go ahead and stand up. Okay, let's all stand together. We will read this. I will read this. Follow along with me, and then we will get going. 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll do verses 1, well, the whole chapter, all the way down to verse 14. Here it is. I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as the one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone that he can devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the entire world. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silas, a faithful brother that I consider, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, or the church that is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let me pray. God, thank you for this day. We again thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us a way to know who you are through scripture. And God, I pray that we can take this seriously, that whenever we hear the scripture read, that it is something that we see as the utmost importance and um, we try to shape our lives around your word. We love you, God, and we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can go ahead and take your seats. All right, so let me say hey to two people. My friend John, everybody say hey to John. It's his first time here. Everybody say hey. All right, there we go. Pretty good. All right, everybody say hey to Marley in the back. It's her first time here. Say hey to Marley. Or we can give a round of applause. I mean, I get it. All right, you're trying to impress her. I see what you're doing. All right, Andrew. All right, any other new people? I'm trying to think. I don't think we have any other new people, right? Yeah, I know most of you. All right. Well, we've been, uh, for those of you, uh, John and Marley, we've been going through the book of 1 Peter, and we're almost done. We, typically, every week, we will dive in and do half of a chapter, and then, um, and then we just move on. Well, chapter 5 is not super long, and it was, I, I didn't think we needed to divide it. So we went ahead, and we're just going to cover it all today. Now, we've been going through this book. Can you actually put the slide up for me, if you don't mind, for the theme? Our series that we've been doing over this last, uh, man, I don't even know how long it's been, weeks and weeks, uh, is called Not Our Home. And you'll see underneath that the title or the, uh, the subtext underneath says Encouragement from First Peter. And if you, if you have never read the book of First Peter before and you know nothing about it, uh, which, which I've read it before, but I've never done a study on it like I had while preparing for this message. And, and I really have grown to love this book. It's, it's a very cool book in that p- the people that he was writing this to needed encouragement. Well, I'm going uh, to give you a chance to answer some questions. So if you've been here and you know the answer, raise your hand. And I'm going to give you a candy bar. Okay, hey, do we have any more candy bars back there? All right, if you get the question right, I will give you a candy bar. It's that easy. Is Max supposed to be here? If he comes, this dude just took your boyfriend's seat. This is awkward, all right? That, <laughs> hey, we're kidding, dude. We're kidding. Mac ain't coming. 
He ain't coming. All right, here we go. Thank you, sir. All right, we've got some Snickers. We got any nut allergies in here? Oh, good. All right, so that everybody, nobody will die. That's good. We've got uh, Snickers. I've got some Snickers with almonds. I got a Three Musketeer. And then I've got the very, very amazing Milky Way. I love a Milky Way. All right. You like them? Oh, you don't like them? John, come on, dude. All right, that's fine. You like Snickers, though? Okay, sweet. All right, here we go. First question. First hand I see, I will call and let you answer. Okay, ready? Yes. <laughs> dude, if you said the right answer, I was going to be very impressed. All right. Who wrote the book of First Peter? All right. Okay, I saw your hand first. Peter, wow, did you know that? Yeah, was that what you were going to say? All right, here, take a Snickers as well. Just because it's your first time and I like you. All right, you want a Milky Way? What do you want? Okay, cool, all right, boom, all right. So Peter wrote the book of First Peter, okay? Rocket science, I know. All right, next question. All right, next question is, what is my next question? Who was it written to? Who was it written to? Oh, oh, nice shirt, by the way, I like your shirt. Okay, who was it written to? The Christians, I, I'll take it. Okay, that's a good answer. What do you want, three musketeers? What? Oh, Snickers. Okay. All right. I could peg you for a Snickers guy. There we go. Watch your head, Gracie. I don't want to hit you. All right. All right. Last one. So it was written to the Christians. Now, here's the big question. Why was it written to the Christians? Why did they need this book of encouragement? Josh, I did see your hand first. What, what was happening to them? Just out of curiosity. Oh, man. It's terrible stuff. Do you want a Snickers? Three Musketeers? Snickers with almond? Okay, just regular Snickers. Okay, there we go. Boom. Oh, Faison Baker. <laughs> Good dodge, bro. All right. Yes. So, so this book was written by Peter to the, to the Christians um, who were going through persecution. Now, I won't go into this super long just because we're going to be short on time. But if you remember, in, in this time period, there was a guy named Nero, who was the emperor of Rome, who literally burnt down Rome. He set a fire because he was trying to expand his kingdom. And when this fire had started, a lot of people in Rome, actually, when I say a lot, I mean everyone, everyone was very upset about this. They're just like, so, somebody just burnt our business down. Somebody just burnt my home down, right? They're all very upset about this. And Nero, being a wise madman that he is, he blamed who? He blamed the Christians, right? He said, guys, guys, it wasn't me that started this fire. It was the Christians. And so this mass persecution began against the Christians in where uh, literally just for saying that you followed Jesus or that you believed in Jesus, you could either be thrown in prison, you could be beaten, you could be killed. Like any of these things could happen just for being a Christian. And what I told the kids in the last service is that if you're a Christian in this room today, you, you realize that, like, so I'm a Christian as well. I'm guilty of the very thing these people were being killed for back then. You're guilty of this, right? Now, luckily, we live in the United States, which is pretty nice towards Christians, okay, compared to Rome. And so imagine that you're a Christian, and maybe you have a friend who's a Christian, and then you show up to church, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, where's Billy Bob? You know, good Jewish name. He's like, where's Billy Bob? And they said, oh, you didn't hear? Billy Bob was killed for being a Christian. And you're just like, what? I mean, this, this happened to a lot of people where their friends were killed, their family members were killed just for believing in Jesus. And so Peter, you know, I think he saw that maybe there was a discouragement settling in. Imagine that friends of yours are getting carted off to prison. Your spouse or your children are getting killed for this. I mean, you can imagine that it's probably pretty easy to be discouraged. Wouldn't you agree? Like, I know I would probably feel bad, right? Now, the good news is, is that you're living for Christ, you're, you're doing things for Jesus, you're standing up. But, but, you know, I mean, discouragement is easy. It can easily trickle in, right? So I think Peter knew this. And so this whole, the whole purpose of this book is he wrote this letter to the church in, in Rome or uh, uh, to the Christians in Rome. And he was like, guys, listen, uh, stay encouraged. Okay, hang in there. 
all right? In fact, there was one thing I was reading about yesterday. I just found this out. If you look at verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 13 in that passage I just read, he says, she who is in Babylon, another way of saying this is the church in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends greetings. Well, what I found out with this is pretty cool is that Peter was... Um, he used a code name. This was, it wasn't in Babylon. It was in Rome. But Babylon uh, was a name that was normally synonymous with, like, idolatry and, and uh, idol worship and stuff. And so he was like, we are the church in Babylon, <laughs> right? And some people think that he was saying that because it was idolatry, but also as a way to protect the Christians in Rome. It was like code words. So I thought that was kind of cool uh, to kind of throw them off the trail there. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and read the finale of this, of this uh, we're going to talk about the finale of this letter, which is chapter 5. And in this, in this last chapter here, Peter does a really good job of pointing out three things that we're going to talk about. And you'll see I've got the blank here with, with what verses go with the point. But we're going to talk about the three things, kind of the three main points of his last chapter here. And uh, I think you can learn some stuff from this, okay? So if you have your Bible, still keep your Bibles open because we are going to be looking at a bunch of these scriptures that we just read, and we'll dive into them in a little more detail, okay? So let's go ahead and look at point number one. Point number one, which would be verses one to five, is all about instruction. Instruction, okay? Peter is giving the believers some, some, some guidelines to live by. He's saying, hey, here's some good advice for you as a Christian. Live by this, okay? So go ahead and open up to verse 1 again in chapter 5. Let's reread these, and then we'll kind of break these down a little bit. Verse 1 says, And now a word to you who are elders in the church. I, too, am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Let me ask you this real quick. When it says that he's a witness to the sufferings of Christ, what does that mean? What do you guys think that means? Grace, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he, he saw them, right? Do you guys remember Peter? Peter was pretty up close and personal at the crucifixion, right? What did he do? He denied Jesus three times. He's on the cross, and he, he essentially was like, no, I don't know that guy. Kind of left Jesus out to dry, right? And so he's saying, he's like, guys, listen, I was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. I saw it happen. I was there. And he continues. He says, I, too, will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Verse number two, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve, the God, or to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. You guys see that word example? Anybody here ever seen the show Band of Brothers before? All right. See, so what I realized in the last service, I didn't realize this, is I asked him, I said, who's seen Band of Brothers? And none of the kids raised their hand, but all the adults did. And, and Brittany was like, that came out years ago. And I was like, wait a minute. And I was like, oh, yeah, that came out when I was in high school, all right? But it's been, it's been a while. But Band of Brothers is a, um, it's practically the movie Saving Private Ryan just broken up into 10 parts, okay? And it's one of my favorite all-time shows. And essentially what it does is they follow this band of brothers, like this group of guys that were all in this company called Easy Company, and it was, they were in World War II, right? And so during World War II, they would have these things called paratroopers who literally would jump out of planes, they would land in whatever area, and then they would have a mission to accomplish. And so uh, the story starts off with these guys in boot camp. They're, they're getting to know each other. They're getting to know their drill sergeant, the person who's going to lead them into battle. And what happens is during their training and stuff, they, they realize that the guy who's leading them into battle, which is ironically Ross from Friends, I don't know if you knew that or not, but, but uh, his character is the guy, and, um, and they don't like him. They, he makes them nervous, right? He kept making all these mistakes during training and stuff, and they were like, if this dude makes mistakes while we're in battle, we, we die. Like, it's not, this is not good. 
So they wanted to get rid of this guy. They eventually complained to their sergeant, and the sergeant was like, all right, well, you can't do this. You can't just complain about whoever, but we'll take care of it. So eventually what had happened was they get dropped off in war, and one of these guys named Winters was his last name, and he's kind of like the main character of the show. He starts off as kind of a lower-ranking guy, like a first sergeant or something. And they, they tell Winters, they said, Winters, you take this group of like six or seven guys. There's a bunker over there. We need to take that bunker. If we take the bunker, we will win this battle. And he goes, okay. So they come up with this strategy, and they overtake the, the bunker. And it's this amazing victory, which they shouldn't have won. There wasn't that many of them, but because of the strategy that Winters used— they ended up winning the battle. And what's cool about it is West Point, the, the training place where they train the army cadets and stuff, um, they took that battle, the strategy that Winters used, and now it's in their textbooks on how to take a bunker in a time of war and stuff. Like, he created a new method. It was pretty awesome. But what happened was, after this, um, one of the guys looked at Winters, and they were like, dude, we will follow you into battle anywhere you go. Any time, we will follow you because we trust you. Um, when, they, when they had to go, it wasn't like Winters was just like, all right, you guys go do this. He goes, follow me. And he like led them in. And they were like, all right, let's follow this guy. He led them by example. And later on, as, you, as, you, as the episodes progress and the years go by in the show, he, gets, he just get, keeps getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And by the end of it, he's like a general. He's like this big dog who whenever he would walk by, people would have to stand up and salute him and stuff. And it was pretty cool. But what was cool was he won, his, he won the respect of his people because he led by example. And when you look at these first couple of verses here that I just read to you, it's all about the elders. Does anybody know who we're talking about when we say elders in the church? Do you know who I'm talking about? Who, who, who are we talking about, Josh? I saw you nodding your head, which made me think you knew. <laughs> Sorry. We're talking about pastors, okay? Pastors and people who run the church, okay? And um, the, it's easy to look at this passage for me, and just say, oh, okay, here's, what a, here's a couple things pastors should do. That's great. But what I want to encourage you guys to do is this is not a, a passage of Scripture that you guys should just look over. This actually tells you guys what you need to know about pastors. Who in here is in high school? Who's in high school? Raise your hand for me, okay? You guys are almost done. John, what grade are you in? Nice. Sophomore? Okay. Uh, all ninth graders. We got any 12th graders in here? I know we got, okay, senior. You're 11th grade, Blennis? Nice. Okay. So you guys are getting to this age where soon you guys are going to leave high school. You'll either go to college, maybe you'll get a full-time job somewhere, whatever it is. But at some point, if, you are, you know, if, if you're a Christian, you need to find a church. Especially if you move away, you're not going to be able to keep coming here. And when you're looking for a church, it's very, very important for you guys to find a church that has good leadership in place. If you go to churches that have bad leadership in place, and, and let me give you a disclaimer, there are plenty of churches out there that have bad pastors in place, Okay. If you're not careful, you can, be, uh, you can be taught things that aren't correct. You can be given an example of what a pastor should look like that's inaccurate. For instance, um, I've told you this before, that when you, any job interview that you ever go for, never sit in your job interview and just, just think, I've got to do anything I can do to get this job. When you're sitting at a job interview, they're going to ask you a bunch of questions, but you as a good, like if you want to work in a good place, you need to ask your manager as many questions as they're asking you. You need to say, hey, listen, listen, I mean, Looks like you got a great company, but don't say this, but like, looks like you got a great company, but let me, can I ask you some questions? Because I want to see if I can work here. This happened to me once at a church, and I've told you this. I, I didn't interview the guy that I was working for, and then when I started working for him, I found out, man, these are questions I should have asked right off the bat. We had disagreements on a lot of things, right? And so in the same way, when you guys are trying to find a church to go to, you need to like, you know, it's not crazy to go meet the pastor and say, hey, can I ask you some stuff? 
considering going to your church. And listen, he gives us some, some things to look for, okay? Verse 2, it says, care for the flock that he's entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, for what you, uh, not for what you'll get out of it, but because you want to serve God. So two things to look for in a pastor. Number one, someone who cares for people. And here's the key word, willingly. Does anybody know who Joe Stoll is? Anybody know Pastor Joe who goes to church here? Okay, that's my father-in-law. Okay, really good guy. I remember one day I was at his house and I said, uh, I said, hey man, what are we having for dinner? He goes, well, we ate before you got here. Would you like a sandwich? I said, yeah, what kind of meat do you have? I'm asking him these questions. And he goes, okay, just stay here. I'll make it for you. And I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. And he goes, no, 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 I want to do this. And he made me my sandwich. And I was like, that's pretty impressive. And he did it with a nice, with a good attitude. I remember one other day we're here at the church. Andrew was with me, actually. We're at the church, and, and they're, they're saying, hey, we need you to set up some chairs. And one of our pastors was just like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to do this. And then Pastor Joe stood up, and he was like, guys, come on, let's go. We can do this. And he did it with a good attitude. And I remember looking at that and just being like, man, which one of these is being like a better pastor right now? And the thing is, guys, pastors, you want a pastor who's going to serve and not do it out of obligation, right? He wants to do it because he wants to do it. Pastors need to love people the same way a person who works at a bank loves money, right? The people at a church, this is what it's all about for people in, in, in ministry. And so if you hate people, you're probably not going to be a great pastor, all right? So again, when you're looking for a pastor, make sure you find somebody who loves people and that he wants to serve willingly. And he, he doesn't like, he doesn't like, oh, I got to go help this person again. Like they, they should want to do it, right? That's a good quality in a pastor. Here's number two. Let's look at verse three right here. Uh, Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Another way of saying this is don't, don't turn to someone who throws their authority around. Years ago at this church, Pastor Frank said, I need you guys to go down and set up chairs in the whack. Okay, the maintenance guys are off doing something else. He said, are you cool with that? And one, one of the guys that was there looked over and he just goes, we are pastors. This is the, we don't do this, okay? And everybody was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, what? So we went down and we, we did the chairs. I remember uh, just a couple weeks ago, I'm walking into church and I see Pastor Frank out in the parking lot and he's reaching down, like picking up trash in the parking lot. That's our senior pastor. And he's bending down to pick up trash. Guys, you don't want to go to a church where, where a person who's in charge like throws that authority around, all right? You want to go to a church where your pastor is willing to do the hard work, willing to, to get down and pick up some trash that loves people, all right? So again, this, the, these couple of verses here, they show us a really good example of what we should look for in a person who leads a church, okay? So make sure that whatever ministry you're going to, they do that, all right? So let's go ahead and jump down to verse 5. Now verse 5 says... In the same way, you who are younger, you must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, let me just say this real quick. This passage, again, is kind of to sum this verse up. He's saying, listen, younger people, turn to the, older, to the elders of your church. Turn to the older people who've been through life. Turn to the people who've been Christians for years and years and years. They can give you good counsel. They can give you good advice. They can tell you what to do. And I think, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think that our culture teaches something a little different. I think our culture teaches us that if you have problems, you need to go to your peer group and talk to them about it. Do you guys agree with that? Like, if you're a teenager and you're going through hard times, a lot of counsel you'll get is go talk to your best friends about it and, and, and talk to them about it. And listen, I'm not saying that's the worst thing to do. I mean, it's good to, to talk to people your age. But there was a couple of years ago where we had this girl here. She was 19. She was one of our junior leaders. And I remember we're standing at that desk where Rooster is. And she goes, 
Uh, she goes, hey, did you get any leaders to sign up? And I said, I did, actually. We got this one lady. Her name is such and such. She's in her 60s. And this 19-year-old looks at me, and she just goes, are you kidding me? And I said, what? And she goes, a 60-year-old? She's not going to be able to relate to these young kids. And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, she's too old, right? And, and, and I looked at this 19-year-old, and I said, listen, you, <laughs> it came out really horribly. But I was like, you don't, even, you don't know anything. And she goes, what? I was like, you don't know anything. You're 19. You haven't lived life yet. You're, you're one year removed from the kids that you're trying to teach in ministry, right? I was like, you don't know anything yet. This lady, I said, let me tell you about this lady. She's got three kids. One of the kids uh, was struggling and has come back to the Lord now. Uh, her marriage went through a couple of rough, rough patches, but they worked it out. She struggled with this, that, and this. But, but here's the thing. She's been through all of it. She can give you great counsel. Anytime I do marriage counseling, with premarital counseling with people who are getting married, I always give them this advice. I said, find a married couple who's a lot older than you and become friends with them. And I say this because if, like, let's say you're struggling with something, you're a young married couple and you're struggling with something in your marriage, what are you going to do? Go to another young married couple that's probably struggling with the same thing? Like, no, go to somebody, go to a, a Christian believer who's older, they've been, they've worked through these things, they can tell you what worked, what didn't work. And this is what I always tell him, find somebody older. And Peter's given this same advice. He's like, listen, guys, you younger people, he's like, cling to these older people. They've got wisdom. They've got knowledge. They've been through it, right? So whenever you guys go through tough times and you're going through difficult things, I encourage you, find some good Christian friends your age, but seek the counsel of older people who can tell you what to do to get out of it. Like I said, most most teenagers that are going through hard times, they haven't gotten out of these hard times yet. They're still struggling with it. And, and it's hard to give advice to something that you haven't even conquered yourself. You know what I'm saying? So seek the counsel of older people. This is why if you guys are ever struggling, if you're ever going through something, never feel intimidated to come talk to me or to Andrew or to Matt or to Rooster or to uh, Alex and uh, Sierra. Sorry. I, I, your name temporarily slipped my mind for a second. I apologize. All right. But these are your leaders in this ministry, okay? Your leaders in your ministry. Go talk to them. Don't ever feel that we will turn you away. We will not, okay? So that, that's point number one is, is, is instruction, right? Peter has given us tons of instruction to do here, and it's really good advice, if I should say so myself, all right? So let's go ahead and do point number two. Point number two is the warning, all right? The warning, Danger, Will Robinson. All right, let's read verses six to nine. Here we go. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Let me, before I continue reading that, that right there is one of the hardest verses for Christians to live by. Hands down. Listen to that. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Do you guys remember, we've talked about this before. As a Christian, the hardest thing that you can do is to stand back and say, God, under your power, under your will, I'm going to stand back and I'm going to say, your will be done. Your will be done. This is the hardest thing to do. God, I'm going through these things. I don't know why I'm going through these things, but I'm going to trust that there's a reason that I'm going through these things and I trust in your will. Somebody tell me, what's the definition of humility? What does it mean to be humble? Somebody tell me. Anybody. Nobody knows what humility means? Oh, there it is. What is it? What's the answer? Okay, close, close. What else? What's humility? Grace, what's humility? Uh-huh. It is. I think what you're saying is putting others before yourself. Yeah. Got it. So pride then would be the opposite, right? Putting yourself before others. That's exactly right. 
Listen, when, we're, when we read this passage, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, Peter's saying, listen, God has a plan. God is going to do things the way he wants to do them. You need to be humble about that. Yeah, be calm about it, man. Like, and which, is, which is really hard, right? If you're ever going through a tough time, that question is, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Like, what, what, is, what is going on here? But, but, don't, but, but really, Peter's saying, like, listen, you're going to go through tough times, absolutely. But trust that God's plan. Humble yourself and say, it's not what I want, but it's what God wants that I am most concerned about. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. All right? Guys, let me ask you this question. Does anybody know what the most searched Scripture passage was on Google last year? Any ideas? Any ideas? <laughs> you thought it would be? It's not First Peter. No, no, no. But the most searched might. Most people look this up on Google. What, what do you think it is? John 3. See, that would have been my guess. John 3.16. Here's what it is. It was Philippians 4.6, and it says this. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's a verse about worry. It's a verse about fear, okay? Don't fear anything, but pray to God. Do you guys, why do you think that's the most looked up scripture passage last year? Everybody's scared about everything nowadays. I blame the media. I blame them. Coronavirus, yeah, coronavirus is freaking everybody out. That's why there's no more toilet paper in Kroger, man. It's crazy, all right? There's no more water, right? We are terrified of everything. Guys, did you know that they said, they said that children now, like ages eight and under, so many kids can't even sleep anymore because they have nightmares because of climate change. They're just like, I can't go to sleep. The world's going to explode. And I'm like, it will, just not soon. <laughs> like, it's not going to be later, right? But, but here's the thing, right? People are so scared. They say anxiety is the biggest thing that cripples a lot of us nowadays. And I love this passage because it says, he says, don't worry about anything, but in every, or I'm sorry, that's, that was uh, the other one. Uh, it says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Did you guys know, a lot of people don't realize this, but did you know that anxiety and fear and worry, is a, it, it can be a very selfish thing? Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think it's selfish to be scared? Who are you thinking about when you're scared? You're thinking about yourself, right? Listen, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying that if a lion is coming towards you, you shouldn't just feel like, I'm not going to be selfish and be scared here, right? Like, I mean, yeah, get out of the way of the line, okay? But what I am saying is when you let fear take you over, you're like, oh, no, how am I going to live? How am I going to go on? Like, all this stuff is happening. Guys, I've seen fear and anxiety cripple people's Christianity. It's crippled them because they don't do anything. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm scared, okay? Do you guys know the hardest things in life are, are a lot of times the scariest? I've told you this before. The, the day before I got married, I was like, <gasps> I'm getting married, I was like, dear Lord, it's the scariest thing, but it's one of the most rewarding things. When my wife was giving birth and they handed me my child, I was like, I got to take care of this thing. And then I had three more. I was like, good Lord, like, what am I going to do, right? It's scary. But do not let fear cripple you. Don't let fear cripple you, okay? It can be extremely selfish. It's not very humble to be scared all the time because all you're doing is thinking of yourself. And listen, when people who are scared about, like, God's will in their life and stuff. It really does show, it shows a lack of humility, right? Doesn't it? Because they're not saying, God, it's your will, not mine. And I'm not saying that being okay with God's will is an easy thing. Because it, remember the story in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is there? Do you guys remember what Jesus was asking God as he was praying and blood was literally coming out of his pores? Do you guys remember what he was asking God? He said, God, if, if, it's, you know, if, if it's possible to take this away from me, take it away. However, if not, your will be done. 
He's saying, listen, this is what I want. Like, what I want is to not be nailed on this cross, but your will is what's most important to me. And obviously, God said his will was that he would die on the cross, and Jesus said, okay, your will be done. Guys, we as Christians, we have to have that same attitude. You know, when you're scared about everything, when you, when you face, like, when you, um, uh, you know, when you're facing things that are, that, are, that are difficult and stuff, and you just are scared over everything, a lot of times that shows that you are not uh, humble to God's plan, all right? So stay humble, all right? Let's keep reading. This is going to be verse uh, 8 and 9. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. And remember that the family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. So verses 8 and 9, I, I love these verses because they're, um, you know, they, 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 they show us that we need to stay alert. We need to be ready, right? Let me ask you this question. Why is it that in America, why do we forget that the devil's out to get us? It doesn't make sense, does it, right? I think it's because things are pretty comfortable here. It's not hard to be a Christian here. But a lot of times we forget that there is a, a devil out there, the enemy that is out there that wants us to fail. He wants us to fall. He wants us to make mistakes. He wants, us to, he wants people to look at us and be like, oh, that's a Christian? That's a pretty crappy Christian. Look what he messes up with, right? This is what he wants from us. I love, I love, um, I love this verse here. I love verse 9 where he says, he says, remember that your family of believers all over the world, they're going through the same kind of suffering that you're going through. It's funny, when I, when I see people who are going through tough times, I'll ask them, be like, how are you feeling? And they go, man, I just feel like, I feel like God's against me. I feel like everything that I'm doing, I can't do anything right. And all they're doing is th they think that they're the only ones who are struggling with this stuff. And Peter's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Remember, there are believers all over the world who are going through the exact same thing as you. He's like, you're not alone here. You're not doing this on your own. Guys, this is one of the, the, the great benefits of coming to church is that, you know, I, I guarantee you everything that you guys are struggling with right now, somebody else in this room is struggling with it. Somebody else is. Or some of your leaders have struggled with it in the past and, and we found a way to be uh, through Jesus to find victory over it. Nothing that you're going through is, is not something that's unique to us, okay? Like, always remember that. Church is a great place to come to. You're, you're coming in here with, with broken people, right? We're all broken people. This is a great place to come. Ask for prayer. Confess some things. Talk about some stuff. Verse 8, he says, stay alert. Watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. You know, I, um, there's a quote that I looked up by a guy named General Mattis. I don't know if you guys remember him. His nickname was Mad Dog Mattis. And this was the dude. He was the Secretary of Defense. This dude was hardcore. When, the president, when President Trump first became president, he got this dude, Mad Dog Mattis, to come in. And this is the kind of guy that you want in charge of your military. He's awesome. But he has this quote. He says, no war is over until the enemy says it's over. We may think it's over. We may declare it over, but in fact, the enemy gets a vote, <laughs> meaning that, you know, you can think that you have won the battle, but if your enemy is still out to get you, the war is still going on. And I want you to think of this, how this applies to Christians, because a lot of times, you know, as a Christian, we, when, we, when we get saved, the battle for our soul is over. Like when you, when you become a Christian, the Bible says that you are, that, that God has sealed you, right? So the devil's not going to come in and take you away. However, while he might not be able to hurt your, your salvation, he can hurt your witness. And what I mean by that is even Christians, even uh, people who spend time in the Word and pray to God, even they can be attacked by the devil. And we get it into our mind that, oh, I'm a Christian, devil ain't going to mess with me. But guys, I'm telling you, do you know where the devil's the most 
the most active a lot of times is within churches. It's the craziest thing. Like, I've seen churches, like, even in our youth ministry, like, just in the last couple of months, we, we've been seeing things where I'm just like, man, this is clearly the devil trying to get in here and ruffle feathers. He's trying to mess things up. Because even though the devil might realize that he can't make you uh, not a Christian anymore, he realizes that he can make you ineffective. And that's the worst thing about being a Christian, right? If you're a Christian, you want to do as much as you can for the glory of God. And if the devil gets you with different sins and he gets you to mess up in certain ways, it can affect your witness. So guys, just remember that the, the devil's out to get you. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 6 says, So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. I love, I love how that passage says. It says, do not let us sleep. Don't sleep, right? And I want to encourage you guys, as Christians, don't fall asleep on the job, okay? Don't fall asleep on the job. The devil's out to get you. And if he catches you sleeping... It'll be easy for him to get us, okay? So stay firm in the faith, all right? Point number three, and then we'll finish up. Point number three is encouragement. So we've got point number one is he tells us instruction. He gives us a warning. And then on the last one, he ends on a very uplifting note, encouragement, okay? Let's read these last couple verses, uh, 10 to 14. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you suffered for a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Verse 12. I've written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, who I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you, and it's to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. So stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon, or Rome, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. And typically, I don't want to disagree with Scripture, but I'm going to agree with verse, disagree with verse 14 here. He says, greet each other with a kiss of love. Guys, the coronavirus is going around. Don't greet each other with a kiss of love, okay? Just give a nice little fist bump. <laughs> give a fist bump of love, all right? So that was a bad joke. I'm sorry. All right, so verse 10, verse 10. Let's look at this one more time. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus, so that after you've suffered for how long? a little while. He says, he will restore you, he will support you, he will strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Guys, this right here sums up the entire book of 1 Peter. It sums up the entire book of 1 Peter. Remember, our theme is not our home, stay encouraged. He's saying, guys, listen, you know, you're going to go through tough times here. You're going to face difficult moments. People are going to call you names. They're going to throw you in prison. They're going to kill you for your faith. But however, listen, he says, you, you're going to suffer for a little while. What does that mean? What does that mean? He's saying, even though here on earth you're going to suffer, at some point you're going to be in heaven with God for all of eternity. And he says, when you get there, all of the suffering that you face down here is over. There's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's none of these things in heaven, right? And he's saying, so, so in, in comparison to eternity, remember, I think, uh, actually, I think Alex did a little example of this last week. Like, if this was the timeline of eternity, right, and eternity goes all the way, which, which is kind of funny, eternity doesn't have a start or end point, but, but like, let's say you're born right here, right, and then you come to know Jesus right here, and then you die right here. Like, this is just a short time. Your lifespan in comparison to eternity is such a short time compared to all of eternity. This, this line doesn't end. It just keeps going on and on, right? And he's saying, look, for, you know, for now, for, for your lifetime, you may be facing tough times. You may be facing difficult situations, but don't worry. Soon you're going to get to your real home, which is heaven, and when you get there, all of this crap is gone. 
I don't think my version said crap. Let me see. No, it did not. All right. <laughs> but he says, what's that? Did I? Encouragement. Encourage. Wait. E-courage. <laughs> e E-courage. All right, here it is. Encouragement. I was focusing on not misspelling courage, and I forgot the end. Guys, I apologize. Was that bothering a lot of you guys? Be honest. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, um, back to this point here. Your lifetime here is so short compared to eternity. So, guys, even if you're going through terrible times for God, just hang in there, okay? Be encouraged. This book of First Peter here, I love it because he's writing to people who are going through arguably the toughest time. They're being killed for their faith. These are not things that we are probably going to face in our country. We're probably not going to face these in our country here. However, it doesn't mean you're not going to go through tough times, all right? So when you do, just remember that God is with you. And remember, this place is not your home. Guys, I love Ohio. I'm even wearing an Ohio shirt today. All right? I, don't, I love Ohio. However, Ohio is not my home. 1216 Ross Road is not my home. It's my temporary home, but my home is heaven, all right? If you can always remember that God is waiting for you in your home, you can get through anything you're going through, all right? Let me pray for you guys, and then we'll break up into groups. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everybody that's here. Lord, I thank you for the example of the book of the letter of 1 Peter, God, where we got a church of, of Christians who are going through terrible times, that were going through very difficult times, but these were people who stood up to the, to the things that were coming their way. These were people who said, you know, it doesn't matter if my life is taken from me or if my health is taken away from me from being beaten and abused. God, I'm still going to live for you. And God, I pray that we can see the example of the early church that were persecuted for what they believed and that we can apply that to our lives. God, we don't face that kind of persecution in this country. And, and, and I'm glad, God. I, I, I'm so grateful that you've put us in a place where we don't have to. But, Lord, this has made us lazy as Christians. Having no fear of what will happen to us has made us so lazy that we don't even share our faith with people anymore. So, Lord, I, I pray that we as Christians can, can live a life that glorifies you, that we can live a life where we're not silent about our faith, that we're extremely loud about what we believe in a loving way. And that we can remember that when these bad times come our way, when we go through difficult times, that it's temporary. For the person who doesn't know you, for the person who's never given their life to you, God, uh, there's no temporary, it's not temporary when they go through these tough times because, because a life outside of you, it's always going to be that way, God. That, that when they die, they're not going to go to heaven. And, and, and Lord, it's the most depressing thing to think about. But we as Christians, we, we, don't, we don't have to worry about that. We have this joy that when we die, things, things don't end there. They actually begin. We get to start eternity with you, God, in heaven. So, God, give us a heart for those people who don't know you. Give us an assurance that when we face hard times, it's only temporary because you're waiting on the other side of that hard time. God, we love you so much, and we thank you, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.